Patey's with us tonight again, so grateful for their continued serving the Lord there. Though it can't be here, amen. We're grateful to have them back for a visit. Luke chapter 22. Tonight we're in the fourth message of our little short leadership series, servant leadership series, and so we kind of wrap it up this evening, uh, and we come full circle. We've talked about being a servant at home, talked about being a servant at work, and uh, now in the beginning, uh, I mentioned this is a leadership series, and I, I, don't, I, I wondered if you wondered as we're listening to this, we're not talking much about leadership, we just keep talking about servanthood and being a servant. Uh, in a series called Servant Leadership, we're talking almost exclusively about servanthood. But as we wrap this uh, series up this evening, I want to demonstrate how servanthood translates into leadership if we have the Bible type of servanthood in our life. Uh, because in the Bible, as we mentioned before, servant uh, is mentioned all over the place. Leader, the word leader is not in the Bible, but uh, the, the principle certainly is. So let's read, starting at verse number 24 of Luke chapter 22. And there was also a strife among them, this is the disciples, which of them should be accounted the greatest? Then he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. What a great passage from Scripture, from our Lord's lips. I pray, Father, you'd help us this evening as we apply this and use this to our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The setting is the upper room. Now, the Bible tells us in John 13, 4, right after this little discourse with the disciples, he ariseth from supper, lay it aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Tonight I have entitled this message, Take Up Your Towel and Follow Me. The setting is the upper room. Uh, Jesus and his disciples have just celebrated the Lord's Supper, just like we did. They had the very first one. Can you imagine having the Lord's Supper with Jesus himself handing out the elements? And uh, this is what they had just completed. And just... Minutes, Jesus would be betrayed, arrested, and tried. The shadow of the cross is looming over them at this very moment. And so what do you think they were thinking about and talking about in the upper room at such a holy and serious moment? Well, it tells us in verse 24, the passage we just read, there is a strife among them which should be accounted the greatest. What is that? Here Jesus is telling them he's, what is in store for him. He's been spending the, the last several weeks telling them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to take me. They're going to kill me. I'll rise in three days. He's telling them all that's going to happen. And they're so thick-headed that this all washes off their back and they're talking about which one of them is the greatest. You're in the upper room in the, with the Son of God. You just had the Lord's Supper. He's giving you His final words. He's about to be crucified. And you're arguing about which one of you is greater. James, John, Bartholomew, Matthew. Uh, who, who's greater? 
I hate to say it, but I've been a pastor long enough and a human even longer. It's not surprising. We're human, and this is what we do. Although it's usually a little more subtle in when we do it, but that's what we do. We talk about who's the greatest. We try to build ourselves up. Now today, we don't do like the disciples and sit around in a circle and just flat out argue about it. Today, we do it on social media. We put out our wonderfulness and our superiority on social media and put it out for the world to see. Jesus said this to them in verse 25. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But look at verse 26. But ye shall not be so. The greatest among you, let him be the younger, and he that is chief is he that doth serve. Considering the question of servanthood, let's look at what it means. The dictionary definition of the word servant is someone privately employed to provide domestic services like a maid, someone publicly employed to perform services as for the government, i.e. public servant. The thesaurus uh, says the, uh, the synonyms for the word servant are assistant, helper, slave, dependent, hireling, server, serf, cleaning person. No wonder no one wants to be a servant if those are the synonyms of servant. Defined like that, we can understand why servanthood is so rare. Because a servant in our culture has sort of a, it's synonymous with degradation. It's a low estate. Nobody wants to be called or have the title servant. And as I talked last week, we don't have many servants making business cards. Hello, my name is such and such, and I'm a servant. We don't usually promote that because, again, it has to do with degradation in our mind. But I find it interesting how much the Bible has to say about this. In fact, let's just point out a couple of interesting biblical facts. Number one, servant was Paul's favorite title for himself. Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ. In fact, this is how he introduced himself to, in the letter to the Romans, the Galatians, the Philippians, the Colossians, and to Titus. He introduced himself as a servant. It's not Paul the big shot. It's not Paul the somebody, Paul the educated. It is Paul the servant of Jesus Christ. Number two, Jesus himself is presented as the ultimate servant. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, But he made himself of no reputation, but took upon him the form of a servant. We're talking about the very nature of a servant. He made himself of no reputation. The, the original word there is kinoo, to make empty, to make void. He emptied himself, the Bible says. Not only did he come in human likeness, but he came in lowly human likeness. He was the least of the human race when he came. Born in a manger, in a barn, and then raised and lived his life as a servant. Jesus came to show us how a servant lives and how a servant dies. Mark 10, 45, even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The, most, the one most deserving to be served was a servant. The greatest leader in the history of all mankind was a servant. That's why he came. He said, I came to serve. And that's how he led. Yet we, we gave last, uh, in one of the messages we gave about Christmas, we talked about the fact of how Jesus is, uh, all, the impact of Jesus here thousands of years later. He's still the central being of the human race. He was a servant. 
Wasn't a, he didn't make a big deal about being a leader, but he was a great leader. And back to Luke 22, who's the greatest? He says the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. What does that mean? Well, we live in a day-to-day where greatness is measured by power, position, perks. In the world, your position is measured by how many degrees you have after your name, how, what your title is, what, how much money you make, what your net worth is. Have you ever done that when you log on to Google somebody? Such and such a name, net worth. I did that to myself recently, and I'm not even on there. So uh, I guess you have to have a certain net worth. You have to have like Forsberg money before you get on that list, you know. Uh, but how, what your net worth is, how many people you can command. Your success is measured by the car that you drive, the size of your office, uh, what, uh, what uh, clubs you belong to, what title you have. You ask anybody, man on the street interview, who are the greatest people in America? They'll list uh, the White House, people in the White House are the Supreme Court, Congress, CEOs, sports icons, actors. They would call those the greatest. And Jesus said, yeah, that's how it is out there. That's not how it's going to be in here. He said, verse 26, but ye shall not be so. It's different in my house. That's what Jesus is saying here. And so, among the people of God, greatness will be determined in another way. How then is greatness determined in the family of God? Read on in verse 26. Let him be as the younger, he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. And then he gives an object lesson. Look at verse number 27. For whether is greater he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. This is a, an obvious question, what he asks here. Maybe tonight, possibly, after service, you might go out to eat. Say you go out to Perkins or maybe go to a really classy place like La Cantina or something like that. Uh, a waiter or a waitress will come and take your order, and they'll serve you. They'll give you a menu. He or she will do your bidding. They'll do exactly what you say. If you want ketchup, they'll go get you ketchup. If you want uh, whatever you ask for, they'll go and get it for you. You're in charge. You're the great one, so to speak. That's why we love restaurants. They treat us like we wish we were treated at home. Amen? And uh, so when the meal is over, you toss down your $5 tip, and you forget all about the person who served you. You'll never see the person that prepares your meal in the back. Probably you're grateful you'll never see that person, but you'll never see the person that washes the dishes. We come and go and we don't even think about it. But don't miss this vital point. This is the illustration Jesus is giving us. If Jesus were going to go to Perkins tonight, he would evaluate the great one differently. The big shot is not the one sitting at the head of the table. Uh, you wouldn't even see Jesus, this is according to the verse he gives us here, because the rest of verse 27 says, I am among you as he that serveth. He's the one in the back of the kitchen. He's the one washing the dishes, preparing the food. That's what a servant does. He's the one to come out and give you the menu and take your order. Then he disappears and you wouldn't notice him. Jesus says, you want to look for greatness? You want to look for leadership? That's where you'll find it. The ones that serve kind of turns it around in our heads a little bit, doesn't it? What greatness really is. For example, government. Government should be here to serve the people. Uh, their, their job is to protect our person, our property, and uh, our freedom. 
What does a police car say on the side? To protect and serve. That's what they ought to be doing. Amen? The problem is that our government is like uh, much else in our country where they step outside those bounds. And listen carefully to this next statement. Leadership that designs itself to be served develops into lordship. That's what the world does. And Jesus is saying, no, no, we're not going to go into the realm of lordship. That's what the Gentiles do. What we honor, our leaders in the Christian realm, is about servanthood. And then he demonstrates it by washing their feet. Take up your towel and follow me. Servants do what needs to be done. They don't wait to be asked. They don't uh, have to be assigned anything. If you're a servant, you'll just find what you need to do and do it. Last uh, This last summer... Uh, because of that storm, we got a lot of wood. I, I uh, was I walked, drove up and down the streets. I cut some, and, and for a few weeks there, doing a lot of cutting and splitting of wood. And one day, I was splitting wood, and I, I got a little boo-boo in my hand. I got a blister. Have you ever gotten a blister from uh, using the axe a little too hard without gloves? And so, uh, but I noticed something about that blister. Uh, in fact, I didn't notice the blister until I was done working, and then it started. My hand started hurting. I looked down. Sure enough, I had a blister. You know the thing about blisters? They usually show up after the work's done. And I've noticed there's a lot of people like that too. They show up after the work. They're like blisters. They show up after the work's done. Remember Shammah in the Old Testament? He stands and defends this patch of lentils for, for God. All the Israelites fled, but he stood there and defended. And then the Bible says, and the people returned only after to spoil. That's people, isn't it? Servants aren't like that. Servants will throw in. Servants will help. Servants serve voluntarily by their own initiative. That's what Jesus did. Whenever there was a need, that's where Jesus was. If someone was sick, Jesus healed them. If someone was mourning, he comforted them. When there was somebody hungry, he fed them. Leadership? Absolutely. He's the greatest leader that ever lived among men. But he did it by servanthood. He was a servant. It's much more gratifying to exercise lordship, isn't it? It's much more gratifying to be at the top and watch the minions down below and then we just uh, watch them and examine what they're doing. It's so much easier to stand by and criticize about how someone else does it than to get involved and do it ourselves. We call it armchair quarterbacking. Greg Ambrose says this, It is the old armchair quarterback theory. People always think they're a better coach or a better owner. Fantasy football, he said, is tailor-made to live out that armchair quarterback life. You get to pick the players. It's ideal. Everybody can sit in an armchair and quarterback. It, actually, it's, uh, doing, it, uh, doing it is not easy, actually going out and doing the job. But there, it is a need for every one of us. And starting with me, it's easier for me to talk about something than it is to live it. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, somebody said it's easier to preach ten sermons than it is to live one. It's hard to live this. It's hard to live the servanthood that the Bible demands of us. But we ought to uh, put every bit of effort we can. I live in daily awareness here at Bible Baptist Church that you are not here to serve me. I'm here to serve you. This is that the type of leadership we want to instill here at Bible Baptist Church. In four weeks from today, we're going to vote on various positions uh, for leadership here at Bible Baptist Church. Uh, and and uh, the, we all understand these are servanthood positions. A Sunday school teacher, you're not great because of a position. You're great as you serve. Deacon, you're not special or greater than others 
because you're a deacon, but you become so as you serve, you see. Uh, any chair positions that we vote on and people that serve in those places, they're not there to practice lordship, to hand out orders. They're there to serve. We lead by serving. And I thank God that I can say this in the presence of our deacons and those that do, because that's the kind of heart we have here. I, uh, I'm, I'm thankful for the servants we have here at Bible Baptist Church. That's how they feel, and I appreciate that so much. There's another uh, reason that we should live this way, because we're not going to have tension with people that we serve. Oh, we will with people that we lord over, but not with people that we serve. I love the song by Ron Hamilton. Make me a servant like you, dear Lord, living for others each day. Humble and meek, helping the weak, loving in all that I say. Give me, Lord, a servant's heart. Here's my life, take every part. Give me, Lord, a servant's heart. We don't need to only sing that, we need to live it as well. Now, what difference would it make to Bible Baptist Church if we decided to take servanthood seriously this year? What kind of an impact would we have those around us? How will we know if it's really happening? Let me answer that question with several points here. Number one, we know that we have a servant's heart if there's a strong volunteer spirit. This generation that we live in today loves to come to church as consumers. That's why we have, uh, that's why we have 115 this morning and maybe 45 tonight and even less on Wednesday night. That's because people are, for the most part, churchgoers are consumers. They're there to see what they get. They're consumer-oriented. That's why you see churches with coffee shops and giving away expensive gifts. Now, And there's nothing wrong with giving away coffee at church, amen? I'm for that because we're going to drink coffee in heaven. We just as well might get started here, amen? But uh, I'm talking about consumerism. Yes, we come to hear about from the Word of God, and, and that's important, but we should also be a church filled with those who are ready to pick up their towel and follow Him. Do you come to church to give or, uh, or only to receive or you do come to give as well? There's going to be a strong volunteer spirit in a servant-hearted church. Number two, there's going to be a decrease in the amount of criticism and gossip that goes on. A servant-hearted church doesn't gossip and criticize because they're servant-hearted, because they don't have time. They're too busy. People that are serving God and are busy doing what the Lord wants them to do, they don't have time. They're too busy picking up their towel and following Him that they don't have time to stop and criticize uh, other people. They won't have time to dip into other people's business because we have enough of our own to keep us busy. You can be a critic or you can be a servant, but you won't be one, uh, both of them for very long. Catch that? Let me say that again. You can be a critic or you can be a servant, but you won't be both for very long. One of them's going to get you. So do we come to church? Do we come to lend a hand or to lecture. Let's uh, come for the right spirit. Number three, there's going to be a new emphasis on the practical side of Christianity. Bible doctrine and theology is vitally important. That's why we preach it. But the Bible also says in James chapter 2, verse 20, faith without works is dead. Servanthood brings out the practical side of Christianity. Servanthood puts to work the truths of the Word of God. We'll see a new emphasis on caring uh, and helping hurting people. Servanthood is seen in our nursery, in our visitation, in our VBS, camp, youth conference, harvest party, all the different things that we do. Uh, servanthood is seen there. We will see a big emphasis on the practical side of Christianity if we take servanthood seriously. Here's, here's how we think as Christians sometimes, mistakenly so. 
To give my life for Christ is glorious. To pay the ultimate price as a martyr, I'll do it. I'm ready, Lord, to go out in a blaze of glory. God did not ask us to die for him. He asks us to live for him. He tells us to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And we think sometimes that the, the, uh, the way that we serve God is we have a $100 bill, and the way we serve God is to lay it all out on the table. Here it is, Lord. Take it. I'm giving it all. And really, the Christian life in reality is more like him sending us to the bank. We cash in that $100 bill for quarters, and we just spend our life giving a quarter here, and give a quarter here, and give 50 cents here, and give a dollar there, and we just, that's how he, that's a little bit more uh, the picture, and it is just giving it all at one time. Listening to another's troubles, praying with people, caring for them, giving a cup of water to a shaky old man at a nursing home, driving a stinky bus full of sweaty kids. That's always a blessing, amen? Uh, working on, at, at, uh, during VBS, doing a Sunday school class, working in the Sorry, working in the nursery. It always scares me a little bit when I say things like that. But giving our life to Christ isn't always a big production. It's done in little acts of love, often 25 cents at a time. We just need to be willing. There will be a new emphasis on the practical side of Christianity. Number four, we'll have a new standard for choosing our leaders. Uh, I am of the opinion that many churches choose the wrong people for positions. Our natural tendency is to look at ability and expertise and experience. Now, while those are important, obviously, servanthood, I believe, trumps them all. Lordship excludes you. Servanthood promotes you. I believe that's the idea behind Jesus' teaching here. If servanthood becomes important, do you know who we will choose to be the leaders of this church? We'll find the servants. And they're the ones that will be promoted. And I believe, by the way, that's what we've done. And I think that's important. And I think that's wonderful. I don't know of a single person that holds a title in our church that is not a, it doesn't have a servant's heart and is just ready to get involved however they can. And I thank God for that. That's a blessing. By the way, that's not something we should take for granted. This is not the situation in every church. I've, I've worked in uh, two churches for a long period of time, and then shorter times in several others, but uh, that's not the normal case in every church. We are blessed to have servant-hearted leaders, and I'm grateful for them. Number five, there'll be a deeper appreciation for those that labor behind the scenes. I am never so foolish as to think that this show runs on my abilities. Uh, so many of you work behind the scenes. Without you, my efforts would be in vain. It's, an, it's a unified endeavor. I thought about that all this week as I'm putting together our challenge this morning to make an impact. And I'm, I constantly think and realize this to myself. Without this great body of believers, I couldn't do any. This isn't me doing this, amen? It's not, I'm not accomplishing this. There's no way I could do this on my own without uh, each and every one of you. Uh, just as an example, VBS. That's prepared for months. People work for months on that to make that happen. And uh, when you eat a meal on Sunday, when we have a, a fellowship meal, people work uh, as a result of the, that's a result of people working days before and preparing 
and uh, putting up tables, setting up chairs, uh, preparing, making sure there's plates, all right? You know how bad it would be if we'd have a big old scrumptious meal set out before us and we had no plates? You know, those things are taken care of and been here nine years. We've never not had plates. And you can't give me credit for that. It meant somebody's going to work doing those things. The, the, uh, the ease of being able to tune in and listen uh, to services when you're sick. We had some people that contacted me this morning who couldn't be here and and uh, they tune in and listen to the service, and that way they can be a part of it even though they're sick at home. This doesn't happen without hours of work in the booth and preparing those type of things. Printing bulletins, managing the offering, mowing the grass, trimming trees, cleaning the church building. All I'm saying is it takes many hands to make this ministry work. I could, have, I could be taken off the scenes tomorrow, and this church would go on. If you all were taken off the scene, it would be a totally different situation entirely. Uh, so, if servanthood becomes uh, really becomes important, it's going. It's go, we're going to appreciate those that are behind the scenes, and I think we ought to. We ought to think about that. All the work that goes on behind the scenes. Finally, the best one. We're going to see new people coming to Jesus Christ. That's the result of a servant-hearted church. Why is that? Because if you're following Jesus, you're following a servant. People may not understand my sermons. People may not understand theology, the big words in the Bible. People may not understand some passage of Scripture. But when you pick up your towel and follow Him, they'll understand that. They'll get that. Uh, do you remember the, the anniversary video we showed? And if, if you haven't seen it or, or you missed it, go on, go on our church YouTube page and view it. It's a wonderful uh, just a reminder and some testimonies that are on there. But uh, I, was, I smiled when I listened to the question. One of the questions for the, the, uh, when they interviewed people and got their testimonies, why did you choose Bible Baptist Church? Why are you here, essentially? What made you choose our church? And we heard things like community, family. I felt at home. One person even, they remembered my name when I came the second time. And oh yeah, way in the back of the video, oh yeah, the preaching was good too. Uh, and by the way, that doesn't disappoint me at all, friends. It really doesn't. I could be D.L. Moody. And if you're cold, they're not coming back. It's a, it's a, it's a church needs to be a servant-hearted group of people. And we have that, and I'm grateful for it. My wife just shared a text with me before service. Uh, we, had a, we have a family that came this morning. We've been praying for for months, my wife and I, to come and uh, be here in our church service. And we had a wonderful text. And... Uh, the preaching was mentioned, but the other thing that was mentioned is we just got to stand there and talk to people, and people are so friendly to us, and people are so welcoming to us, and, and they, they, don't do the, they don't talk to people at their church they go to now. It's just kind of an in and out here. People loved on them, and that's a huge part of our church's ministry, and I highly appreciate those uh, that are involved in it. John thirteen thirty five, By this shall all men know you're my disciples if the preaching is doctrinally correct. Is that what the Bible says? It does not. By this shall all men know you're my disciples if you have love one to another. That's what it should be. Let me ask you today or tonight, do critics love one another? They don't. Do servants love one another? They do. And that's the heart we ought to have. I do believe in a team concept. Team. Together, everyone accomplishes more. And I'm so grateful to work together in a team such as we have. Marks of a good servant leader. Here are five fundamental indicators, and we'll close with this, of a servant leader. Number one, a servant leader 
seeks the glory of his master. John 7, 18, He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is seen of him. The first part of this verse is seen in, I don't want to throw a percentage out there, but probably nine out of ten people today. People like to talk about themselves, seeking their own glory. If you are in it to build your own brand, you're not a servant. You will never be a servant with that type of mentality if you're there to build your kingdom. And you'll never be a godly leader either if it's all about you. Number two, a servant leader sacrificially seeks the highest joy of those he serves. This does not conflict with seeking the joy of our master. Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Minister to who? Well, God primarily, but also to people. He says, and to give his life a ransom for many. So he's here to serve God, and he's here to serve people. He has that balance down. A servant leader, number three, will forgo his rights rather than obscure the gospel. A servant leader and his identity and trust are not in his calling, but in Christ Jesus. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 9, 19, I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. That's a powerful verse. Making yourself a servant of all. Number four, a servant leader is not preoccupied with personal recognition. Like John the Baptist was with Jesus, a servant leader sees himself as a friend to the bridegroom. I'm not the bridegroom. I'm a friend to the bridegroom. I'm not anybody big. I'm nobody special. Thank God he uses me, but I'm nobody special. I'm a friend of the bridegroom. A servant is not preoccupied with the visibility of his own role. It's not about me here, and not to be offensive, it's not about you either. It's about his glory and us collectively working together to bring him glory. <clears throat> Number five, a servant leader anticipates and graciously accepts the time for his decrease. This is a very important one. There are times when we decrease, and we need to accept those times. All leaders serve only for a season. Some seasons are long. Some are short. When John the Baptist recognized the ending of his season, which, by the way, was very short. His ministry was a very short ministry. And this is what he said. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, and I must decrease. Now, albeit John wasn't too happy when he started decreasing, we rarely are. But we need to have that attitude. We need to be willing to step away and out of the limelight to let God's glory be manifested in our lives. Think about Paul. He asked three times for his we assume tradition says it was his eyes, but his thorn. God, take it away. Man, I look like a blubbering mess up there. I'm trying to speak to people. And my eyes are watering and I, I got these tissues and I can't. It's a distraction, Lord. If you took it away from me, man, I could be more powerful. I could give the gospel. People wouldn't be distracted. God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And then as soon as Paul, and he goes on to say, my grace is sufficient for you. And my... uh my strength is made perfect in your weakness. As soon as Paul figured out that his shortcoming, his thorn, brings him glory, most gladly, therefore, will I suffer. It's the attitude. The attitude is the willingness to step aside to bring him glory, to move to the background, to fade. Here's my application. Make me a servant like you, dear Lord, living for others each day, humble and meek, helping the weak, loving in all that I say. Here's our assignment for this week. 
and yes, for this year. Begin each day with the prayer, Lord, make me your servant. And then open your eyes. Because that's one prayer God will answer. I have learned if we pray something right in accordance with what he commands us to do, uh, he will offer ample opportunity to answer that prayer. If you ask God to give you someone to witness to, you better get ready and buckle up because there are going to be plenty of people to witness to. Hardest part about being a servant is opening your eyes to it because we're so self-centered. But God will open doors for you this week, this year. Who is the greatest person at Bible Baptist Church? Who's the greatest? I don't know. I'm not going to get into the disciples mode and start arguing about it. But the greatest person at this church, according to Jesus Christ, is the greatest servant. The one who's willing to do work in the background, not get any fanfare, not get any attention, just willing to do whatever God gives them to do. Jesus said, I am among you as he that serveth. I want to ask you, are you willing to take the first step in becoming like Christ? And that is to be like him, be a servant. Are you willing to pick up your towel, follow him? I hope so. Father, we thank you for the example you gave us, the perfect example in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we be more concerned with, the, with us being a servant and let you then deal with the leadership aspect of it. Help us just to be willing servants, willing instruments to be used for you to share your love with those who so desperately need it around us. So we'll give you the glory for what you do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's all stand and we'll be dismissed here. I appreciate you so much being here this evening. And now go out this week and make an impact. Amen. Uh, make a difference. God bless you. You are dismissed. Thank you.